previously on All In or Knocked Out. Two days later, I was I was on my own, and I was like, there's just no way someone's going to try to th- threaten my ability to play poker. <laughs> I, like, lost, I don't know, like $50,000 online or something, and, uh, and that's like a pretty big down day for me. To some people, losing $50,000 would be a catastrophic event. To Olivier, it was, in his own words, a pretty down day. So I always had gambling in my in my system since I was a kid because I grew up with my grandma. She told me how to she taught me how to play poker with you know with fake chips and stuff when I was a kid. And I remember one summer finally I lost all my clothes. And so when I turned into a professional gambler, she wasn't very happy. And she went in the closet and she she brought out five thousand bucks in cash. And she said, "This is all the money I have. Like, take it, and then you could pay me back some other time." And then for me, you know, there's a lot of pressure because I've like built this moment up. It's this like. You know, obviously there's the money and there's just like all of these things. So I just, I have anxiety associated with my training because it's related to this like pressure moment that, that that's building up to it. So, so that's like, that's one motivation right there. Because now I have a, a bet that is worth a lot more than it was worth for me, you know, uh, a few months ago. People don't talk to me like that. He was like, if you ever talk to me like that again, like I'll find you and beat the shit out of you for free or something. Like, like he was, he got mad. You just think he's like a hothead? Oh, clearly he is. Yeah. Super, and you know, probably doing a whole lot of other stuff that's not just bench pressing. And by that, I mean, you know, juicing. Uh, he said something to the effect of like he was 85% sure I had like juice flowing through my veins. He said he showed my picture to a couple professionals who agreed that they pointed at my lats as proof. Um, and this was just all like a big joke to me, to be honest. Like I'm, I'm sitting there having 100% of the information and somebody else who's basically just making shit up is like accusing me of something that's just completely not true. Before we get into part three... I have to talk a little about how this documentary was structured. When I first got into this project, I told both guys I would never mention to either guy what the other one was saying. I figured this was the only way to get genuine, honest, unfiltered reactions from both guys. After all, when you've got a quarter million of your own money on the line, there's no good reason to give information to the other side. But this siloing of information came at a cost. I wasn't able to go back and forth between the two guys and ask for their reactions to each other's comments. I would have loved to get those reactions, but I couldn't, because I had to keep all the conversations private. As a result, both Olivier and JC are now hearing each other talk about one another for the very first time, and it's not surprising that some of the reactions would be less than favorable. The day after part two was released, Olivier sent me a text, asking to have a conversation. He wasn't happy about the coverage of some of the items in part two, and he wanted the chance to get to tell his side of the story. So... You didn't like some of the things I said towards the end of, of episode two. Can you can you talk about why? 
Well, it wasn't so much that I didn't like it. I just felt like I felt like there was a narrative that JC had um, been able to create more than I had, um, and that it just there were some things that just didn't feel like accurate about um, the way he was describing things, and then I guess in in one way the way you were interpreting things. Like so, for example. Um, at the end, you said something to the effect of, you know, JC tries to push every edge he can, um, you know, talking about, and I think, you know, there was like an injury that he had that he never shared with me, but then like there was an injury that I had that I did share. Right. And essentially the difference was because he's just trying to push these all, every single edge and I'm not. And the reason I'm not is because like, essentially like I want people to like me. Right. And that certainly wasn't my intent when I'm writing that. I, I just sort of, my my um my thought of of the the whole olivier uh wants to be like thing stems from i guess it stems from a couple things was sort of like you know i'd i'd had these conversations with you about you know how in your your youth you'd you'd been a rowdy kid and then you know you hear all the stuff about you know olivier and you know an online uh chat you know being right. you know being really aggressive with people in chat. And I was, I was expecting to be on the phone to some extent with that guy, maybe not that guy, but I was expecting something very much different from what I got when I got a person who was, um, just extremely civil, you know, civil to the point that you don't see in mixed martial arts, you know, uh, that, you know, I've, I've seen so many MMA interviews that, you know, you, you were saying these things, you know, I'd, I'd really like to, to share these moments with him. And I, I wish I could talk to him about this. And, and you have no animosity towards the guy, despite the fact that you guys have, even if you had some animosity towards him, it would be, it would be very much justified that you didn't. And I think that that kind of took me off guard uh, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think in, in terms of the animosity between me and JC, like the truth is, like we're negotiating a big money fight between us. Like the idea that there would be situations in which we would both kind of get heated, um, I think is pretty natural. I, I don't, I don't take that personally. There are certain things that he said um, that I found like particularly mean spirited, but I mean that's fine. Like I'm, I don't, that doesn't, that doesn't make me all of a sudden think he's like a terrible person or like I, I just I don't care enough to really like dislike him but um I, I did think that his creation like his narrative that I am some sort of hothead and that he is like some sort of like reasonable calm person just seems to fly in the face of his own description of me you know saying an obnoxious thing and then him responding with next time I'll see you, I'll beat the shit out of you for free at PCA. Right. <laughs> I mean, that just seems like there's at least some hot-headedness on both sides. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, in, you know, in terms of, you know, when people talk about whether it's, you know, when I was in college or even the online chat, like there's something that people should understand, which is one, those are in some instances like pretty isolated contexts, not – necessarily representative context. And then also that was a long time ago. I mean, I haven't even had chat online for like five or six years. So, I mean, these are stories that are from, you know, not only like basically before I was even married and I, that to me feels like multiple lifetimes ago. So there's still some truth in it. And there's still times where, you know, I'll like take issue with people and essentially like tell them exactly what I'm thinking. 
but you know, I, I'm you know mostly able to just have reasonable interactions with people, even someone like him, where we're on the opposite sides of this very dramatic, tension-filled, um, you know, negotiation. And especially in the context, for example, of where the fight will be, right? Because if he's adamant that he doesn't, because at the beginning he was adamant about the fight not being in the U.S., like completely adamant about it. He was like, basically, there's no way I'll do the fight in the U.S. And and I felt like, you know, it's one of those things where, where, where someone negotiates with you, they try for something completely unreasonable so that you guys can come to, you guys can come to the middle that's much closer to their side. And I just was, and I know that I have this tendency in negotiation to kind of give in to that tactic. So I was really, really um, not, happy with that tactic when I felt like not only am I not, cause he went first from Asia to fight to right. Europe to fight to Mexico to fight. And I was just like, none of those things seem reasonable to me. I don't want to travel across an ocean and time zones to fight. And I don't want to fight in the country where you train in where there's like the language that I don't speak. And I just don't know exactly like, you know, I mean the U S yeah, certainly seems Mexico would be a huge edge, but, um, I mean, I guess he's thinking that Asia and Europe would be neutral territory, but yeah, obviously Mexico is... is no, no, I, I didn't think Asia and Europe would be advantageous to him necessarily. I just thought it was right. incredibly impractical and illogical, you know, just for, just in the case of, I would like as many people who want to come support me as possible. Got it. Making them all fly to Europe or Asia for the fight right. is just going to make that number as small as possible. Right. Um, it was, you know, it was an issue enough to get people to come to Vegas because people have their own lives. Um, so I just thought, yeah. And anyway, so, you know, and then, you know, he said things like he didn't want to fight in the U S because the healthcare costs in the U S were so high, mm-hmm. which I just, I didn't even know how to respond to that. I mean, I just, I just wasn't sure what to say. I just seemed, so there was a point at which I was just like, you're being ridiculous. Maybe I used some harsher language, but I was just, I I felt like he was almost trolling me because he was saying things that were so kind of, um, I don't know, like what I felt like absurd. Anyway, so yeah, I just felt like there was a, you know, there was a level at which I wanted to at least respond to, to some of the things that came out in that episode. So I'd like to thank Olivier for that. And now on to part three, arriving in Vegas. This is All In or Knocked Out. In this series, you'll hear the story of two elite professional poker players stepping into a mixed martial arts cage for the very first time. With only the bare basics in MMA training and experience, they've agreed to fight one another for a quarter million dollars. We'll follow their journey as they face their fears and dedicate everything to the fight. Here's your host, Terrence Chan. When we last left JC Alvarado, it was in a moment of vulnerability. Like, I need to win because that's the way I'm wired. I, I am, and I know that he is too. And the motivation is that, like, I don't want to lose. I, I don't want to lose uh, in front of people. I don't want to, you know, get knocked out and have that be on YouTube forever. I, 
don't want to let my coaches down and I don't want to lose the money. That's for sure. So, so, so I'm pretty, pretty fucking motivated. Presumably when the bet was announced, JC considered himself a very big favorite. After all, he was putting up $150,000 to Olivier's $120,000, laying odds against his bigger opponent. I asked him how he felt about the bet now, closer to the fight. What did you think your edge was then, and what do you think it is now? Like, how, how has that sort of evolved over the last six months? Do you feel more confident than you did back when you made the bet, or about the same? It's actually funny. I, I felt really confident back when I made the bet. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've talked to a lot of fighters, professional fighters, and even I've tried to gauge what they think about like fights in terms of betting. Like, uh, I, I, I bet fights quite often. And sometimes I'll talk to like a guy like, like I'll talk to Demetrius Johnson and I'll be like, what do you think about this fight? And he's like, man, you know, the odds are clearly like minus 240 or whatever like that. So, so someone's a substantial favorite. For those not familiar with sports betting lingo, minus 240 means that you have to lay 2.4 to 1 odds to bet on the favorite. In other words, the favorite's expected to win about 70% of the time. And we're like, I don't know, man, anything can happen. It's a fight, and that's what they all tell you. They all start telling you, like, they all look at it as 50-50 in every fight. It's unbelievable, actually. They'd make the worst sports bettors ever because they see a fight as, like, this coin flip where... You know, I, I, that guy could get knocked out or the other guy can get knocked out or, or, or one guy could get submitted and the other guy could get knocked out. And, um, and when you talk about their own fights with them, they see it the exact same way. They think anything can happen. They, they don't see them. Demetrius Johnson doesn't see himself as a four-to-one favorite over Henry Zahuto, who he's fighting in, in a few weeks. Even though he's supremely confident, he's the champion, he's rolled through everyone. He sees it as a coin flip. He sees it as a fight that, where anything can happen. And I think that's sort of what's happening with me in the sense that you spend so much time training and so much time thinking about what can happen that you start thinking, man, I really could get knocked out. I really could get ground and pounded. I really can get submitted. I can, you know, I can go left when I should have gone right and get clipped and it's done. And at the same time, I can pepper him with shots for five rounds. I can, you know, hit him with a wheel kick to the face and knock him out. I could get him in a in an arm lock, I can triangle him, I can do all this stuff. Um, and and that's how I can win. But you start obsessing about all the ways that you could win and all the ways that you could lose. And it, the more you think about it and the closer you get to the fight and the more you realize that you're in a fight, the more you start feeling that it's like a 50-50 thing. I asked Olivier the same question. With a few weeks left until the fight, I asked him, Given what you know now, if you could go back in time and advise yourself, would you bet more than the hundred twenty thousand you are risking, or less? It's an interesting question. Um, 
I probably would have bet more. Um, I think, like, I, I you know, I it, there's this fine line with. I mean, I don't even have much experience with, it, but the one thing that I've noticed in terms of like projecting and having confidence and talking shit, like I have no interest in talking shit. I have nothing but respect for JC. Um, but I do feel like, um, and you know, maybe I'll look like an idiot if I lose the fight, but like, I, I, I do feel like this is like one of the best equity spots that I've ever been in. Um, I feel like I'm a pretty decent favorite and I'm being laid a price. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just I think this is a good bet. A few days after we had that conversation, Olivier put out another tweet. It read, I'm looking for additional action on myself for the fight. Let me know if anyone's interested. I followed up with him on that. Um, yeah, so part of that was on behalf of others and okay. then uh, who are not like in the poker world. Mm-hmm. And then part of that was, yeah, I added a little bit. Uh, I actually was thinking back to our first interview where you asked me um how i felt about the bet pretty much and i said that i thought it was like one of the best equity spots or the best equity spot that i've been in um and that i would have bet more if i could go back and i thought well i can still bet more in theory um but that being said like it's a lot it's already a lot and and again it's for me this isn't about the financial aspect of it sure it's, it's it's an element you know yeah um but if the bet had been for twice as much or for half as much i don't think it would have changed the experience right it's it's sort of like there's there's two sides to you, right? Like there's the professional gambler who thinks he can recognize the spot and then the guy who's training for a fight, right? right yeah. and, and it's just like you let the professional gambler take over for a second, kind of objectively analyze this and be like, oh, I think this is a good spot, right? Is it- yeah, and, and and it's funny because I've been watching and, and, you know, like on social media and stuff as the line has kind of moved in the last few days and people are talking about, oh, like I'll take, you know, at this price or at this price, you know, like everything is so much different at these different prices. And it's like these people have no fucking clue. You know, it's like, I mean, how are you going to parse the difference between, you know, 125 or even money? Like, I mean, if you don't know anything about, like, our training, like, who we are as athletes, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I know people who are saying that, like, JC's been, you know, he's been training in martial arts for his entire life, and he's had multiple fights. And it's like, so people, a lot of people are just talking without really knowing or understanding anything about the situation, so. As not only the bigger man, but also the one who genuinely believes himself to be the better athlete, it makes sense that Olivier projects the confidence that he does. JC's a little more hesitant, recognizing that this is a sport with very small gloves and an even smaller margin for error. But one place where he's supremely confident is that he has a big coaching advantage. And I think that's something that he just can't come close to. He doesn't have that that network of support, and he doesn't have that like knowledge base. I mean... When I'm not with the best coach in the world, I'm with the best coaches in Mexico. I'm with, you know, a, a jiu-jitsu world champion all, almost every day. Um, when I'm in Seattle, I'm doing training sessions alone with the UFC world champion. I get to see what that's like. I get to learn from them. I get to learn the, their concepts, their philosophy, everything. And and I think that's an edge that, you know, uh, it'll be hard for him to overcome that. So let's meet the coaches, the men that have been around the central figures of our story. One day before the fight, I caught up with JC's coaching staff. 
My name is Dan Sean. I'm a, I, I was a college wrestler, high school and college wrestler. Then I got into MMA. I did a couple fights in San Diego and TJ at Total Combat. But then my mom found out I was doing MMA and she didn't like it. So I left MMA. And just a quick note about the audio. We talked to Dan while we were sitting on a weightlifting bench inside Syndicate MMA in Las Vegas, the venue for the fight. And I started uh, with JITS. I've been doing JITS for a while now, a little over 10 years. Um, I've been actually real lucky. I've been able to win a couple of tournaments. Uh, I've won worlds at all, every belt except the black belt. But I haven't won it yet, but I, I'm still planning on winning it so I can finish the whole thing. Uh, but so I'm a JITS coach now and MMA fan, I love it. And I think JC's gonna, gonna really do well with his jiu-jitsu. It's, it's improved so much. He's always been good, but it's improved so much the last four months. Uh, well, actually, JC and I have been friends for a while. He, um, he sent me a Twitter once, I think, uh, back in Mexico, after I think I had won a tournament or something, and JC said, hey, listen, I used to train a little bit of jiu-jitsu. Uh, I was gonna do a fight against another poker player, but then it fell through. The other guy backed out at the end or something. But he had already kind of started doing jiu-jitsu and he really liked it. Um, so we got together. Uh, you know, we were... JC's a very smart, intellectual guy and it's it's really good to talk to him. So we got together, we, were, we would talk about jiu-jitsu, we would talk about MMA and just, you know, hit it off. We became friends. And I've been coaching him wherever I can. Sometimes he coaches me. He's uh, he's such a student of the sport. The guy is ridiculous. He knows everything. He sometimes knows more about my fights than I do, than I remember. Um, so we talk a lot and we train. So we've, I guess we've been training for over a year and a half, maybe two years now. Uh, we've, we've been to the UFCs in Mexico together. We've, we've actually become really good friends. And, um, and I think I learn as much as, as, as he does when we, we train together because he does all the the thinking and I just do the, the, the I do some of the jits that I've been doing for a while. I wanted to ask Dan about the unique setup that JC had created. In addition to working with Dan, JC was also flying up to Seattle to train with MMA coach Matt Hume, as well as strength and conditioning coach Joel Jameson. I had to ask Dan if that dynamic created any tension, or if everyone was on Team JC together. Uh, it's great. It's great. I mean, I was, I was really nervous. It's a big fight. Uh, it's a lot of responsibility. Uh, I was scared to be his uh, his head coach, his his uh, head jujitsu coach. I don't have the experience that JC deserves when it comes to MMA. So the fact that he said that I would just help him in Mexico and I would help him implement whatever Matt Hume, who's a master of the sport, can tell both of us uh, would work. So I'm, 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 not a, I'm not a very egotistic person. Uh, I don't think JC needs that. I think the way he planned it, because it wasn't my idea, it was his idea, the way he planned it was perfect. You know, he wanted a master of MMA, who's Matt Hume, to kind of guide us, and then he just needed me to... Uh, to help him implement it, to do the day-to-day, to, to see maybe some of the things that he didn't see when we were with Matt that I could refresh on a daily basis to him training in Mexico. The traditional model, at least for beginning fighters, is a pretty straightforward one. You join a gym, you pay your membership. You take the classes underneath the coaches. There's usually one head MMA coach who runs the practices. Everyone's equal. That's the model Olivier was operating under. I asked Dan, is one system better than another? 
Olivier, I don't know if you know who he's been training with his team. Like, um, he's been training with the, the, the BJJ team in the Bronx. Um, but he's been training sort of like the more traditional way where you, you, you go to a gym and you sign up and you've got some sparring partners and you've got a head coach and stuff like that. JC's kind of taking a different approach. Like, he's get, he gets, like, private lessons from you, from you know, boxing guys. He goes up to Matt Hume. He's not really, like, you know, necessarily part of a, a, a team of other fighters. Do you think that's, like, an advantage for him or a disadvantage or... Uh, I, I definitely think it's it depends on your personality. Some people definitely need the team. They want to be a part of something. They want to be motivated by other people. They want to have friends and be able to talk about it. Uh, JC doesn't. JC really flourishes and, 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 and has great ideas by himself. JC, I think sometimes the team mentality gets in his way. I feel like he's so smart, sometimes I get in his way. Uh, he really likes doing things his way. And... When you're preparing for your fight and you're JC, other people will get in your way. So uh, I'm sure for Olivier it was great to, to be with a team. It's If you've never been in a team sport, uh, doing MMA as a team is one of the best feelings you got. You, you definitely feel like you become brothers with the people you're training with, and that's very important because there's some bad days when you're training, and if you don't have your brothers there with you, it can get really bad. If you train with me, you bleed with me, you sweat with me, you help me train for my fight, I help you train for your fight, we're brothers, no matter what. And I will have you back to the end. Uh, and Olivier is a pit bull. That's the voice of Brandon Medina, a 20-year-old MMA fighter who was integral to Olivier's camp. Okay, so I'm Brandon Medina. My nickname is B52. I fight the 125-pound weight class in MMA and Muay Thai. Um, four and one in MMA amateur in New York City. Three and one in Muay Thai in New York City. Um, purple and BJJ competing in IBJJF tournaments. Naga Grappler Quest. Um, also have a twin brother that do it as well. So we both drive each other to compete and go on further. I asked Brandon what he thought when he heard about Olivier's bet. I was like, okay, here we go. Holy cow! You know, it's two poker players just made a bet to fight. You know, you really don't hear things like that. You know, so. I just I was willing to take the challenge with my coach because I always have my coach's back on any challenge, any choice he picks. I always follow through with his choices because he led me on this path of success. So I'm always going to have his back in any choice he does. So I was always there whenever he called me in to help Olivier train. And according to Brandon, Olivier caught on to his new sport quickly. Yeah, he just he he just grew on it really quick. He started watching it, and then we um he had he had a lot of questions for us. And I was very open with answering his questions. He was very nice and generous about, generous about the questions. Any position, any place he fought, like he was uncomfortable, he would ask it right away. So we would sort it out. And he um, he caught everything really quick. Triangle escapes, armbar escapes. Very strong. Very, he's very, very strong, but he's technical too. You know, he's going to be very smooth. He's nice and relaxed. You just got to keep calm. He's, he, I'm excited for this fight. At every opportunity where we spoke... Olivier spoke glowingly about Brandon, as well as the other guys on his team, led by this man. I'm Professor Tito Hartz. I'm the uh, the owner and head instructor of ECU BJJ and MMA Bronx, and I am four and one currently in MMA. Um, lots of BJJ tournaments, a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, Thai boxer, wrestler. My conversation with Tito took place in his hotel room the day before the fight. Olivier put he and Brandon up in a beautiful room at the Mandarin Oriental, one of the nicest hotels on the Las Vegas Strip. ECU, BJJ, and MMA in the Bronx has been open for about five years, and has about 270 students. Out of those 270, there's an elite group of 12 that Tito calls the comp team. 
a 12-man comp team. Comp team is uh, uh, full contact arts, uh, Thai boxing, uh, MMA. Uh, lots of people do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournaments in my academy, but the 12-man comp teams are the guys that step in and do Thai boxing and uh, MMA, basically. Typically, guys don't just get to walk in off the street and join Tito's comp team. You can imagine that in a place like the Bronx, a lot of self-proclaimed tough guys walk into the gym and declare that they want to be MMA fighters. At first, Tito wasn't sure if Olivier was one of those guys. Um, in my academy, you can't just come in off the street. All my people are pretty much homegrown. So you can't come in off the street and say, I want to be a fighter. I want to, I want to spar with your guys. So I, my first response was, you know, I don't just let anybody come in here and spar, but I'll talk with you. You know, because I didn't know what was going on yet. Yeah. So when he came in, finally, he's like, I'm this and that. And again, we're in New York. Everybody's this and that. So while he's talking, I'm Googling. I'm, I'm Olivier Busquets. I'm a poker player. So I started Googling, and it's sure enough, it's a Olivier Busquets poker player. Huge bet pops up. So I, I took the, I was like, yeah, this is kind of cool. You know, I, I took it. It was exciting for me to do that. It was a nice little project. But turns out he's really talented. <laughs> so he's going to be dangerous in there. Really? Yeah, so yeah. You I think he's like a natural? I mean, because you've seen it. You've trained a lot of fighters. I trained lots of fighters, yeah. And, uh, lots of successful ones, even, like this kid here. Tito makes a hand gesture towards Brandon, who's sitting beside him. But, yeah, he, he, got, he got good quick. He has good understanding. He's already athletic. Um, I made him do a, a fir his first BJJ tournament, gi and no gi. And uh, uh, he was tapping out blue belts and purple belts. I also asked Tito about the strongest points of his new student. Okay, his strong point. Okay, he has heart. That was number one. Because, again, when he came in, yeah, I took this back. Let's see how this goes. I threw him right in with the comp team, so everyone he was actually sparring with. My guys went out to kill him. Here's where Tito can't resist taking a quick jab at J.C., whom you'll remember boasted about traveling to Seattle to train with UFC champion Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson, as well as his coach, Matt Hume. Like I hear, the, I see the other, uh, the other podcast about how um, Mighty Mouse was just tearing up JC, and that's all they really wanted to do. He didn't learn anything out of that, trust me. <laughs> it's about to take a liver punch. Tito continues. So I threw him right in with the, the, the comp guys, and he never quit one time. That was the So you told your guys to go hard on him? Yeah. Yeah, of course, they know not to knock him out, but yeah, don't, don't ease up on this guy. Let's see what he's got. He wants to come in here six months. He wants to do MMA. Let's, I mean, that's number one. I can't teach that, right? I can't teach heart. So he, he showed us that he had a lot of heart. Now, um, that's, a, that's a huge strong point. Another strong point. He's picked up. He listens. So far, he listens. I don't have him in a cage with other things going on or the similar around. But as, as far now as when he's going in tournaments already, uh, when he's sparring in MMA, he listens. That's a strong point. He's strong. That's both a strong point and a weak point at this point. Though, though he, is, he, he, he can, he's good enough to escape basic things. I have seen him beat with basic moves, purples and blues. Um, but sometimes that's going to be a problem. I don't know this JC guy's ground game. I don't know how technical he is. I'm, I'm making this guy go with black belts, purple belts, and brown belts. That's what he messes with, and pro fighters. So, and he's doing really well with these people. So if we're, if we're looking at a, uh, just an overall game, I'm saying maybe his strength gets a little better of him sometimes against higher-level guys, especially on the ground. But from striking to, to uh, his takedowns, his takedown defense, I think in that six month, he is way more well-rounded than J.C. is. And J.C. JC's experience was a, a dabble and a self-proclaimed almost blue belt in GBJJ, which everybody's that off the street. Um, that's in sport jujitsu, and what what uh, Olivier has been training is MMA, and those are 
two sides of a coin. So the sport jiu-jitsu has no merit in this realm at this point. So like I said, it's going to be a nice, interesting thing. Although I certainly couldn't mention this to Tito, this comment surprised me. In the conversations I'd had with JC, he had very little interest in sport jiu-jitsu. If anything, JC had had conversations with me about what guards and submissions specifically were good for MMA. So let's go back to Dan Sean, the man who knows the most about JC's ground game. I asked Dan, straight up, just how good is JC as a grappler? A quick primer on the belts in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, they go like this, white, blue, purple, brown, and then black. It's hard to make an analogy, but one that's often used is like this. Blue's like high school, purple's like university, and brown and black are, they're the postgraduate degrees. Black belts in jiu-jitsu usually take well over 10 years of practice to attain, and sometimes they take as many as 15 to 20. Well, definitely when, when we started JC six months ago, JC was a, a white belt. He had, um, he had some experience of jiu-jitsu. He could, he could move. He was missing some of the, of the, of the main uh, strategies of jiu-jitsu with control. He would, he would let you sweep him very easily just because he liked to, uh, to do his triangle. So I'm going to try to explain some of the technical terms in this discussion. To sweep means to reverse someone and put them on their back. A triangle is a choking technique applied from the bottom position. He would let you, uh, he would let you pass guard because he was tired and he was uncomfortable in a position. And now it's amazing. However, he's amazing not in a very jujitsu uh, competition-wise because he, the way we worked it is that he's not doing tournament jujitsu jujitsu. He's doing MMA jujitsu. So he does a lot of heel, his heel hooks are ridiculous he submits me on a regular basis with his heel hooks which is crazy because i'm a good uh i'm a good leg lock defender and that's not jujitsu that's illegal in jujitsu but because of what we're training him for because it's an mma fight where heel hooks are legal he's doing a lot of heel hooks right the heel hook that's a very nasty attack where one fighter traps his opponent's heel in the crook of his arm and rotates his entire body in an attempt to break the other guy's leg it's sort of like this Imagine if your entire leg was immobilized, with the exception of your foot, which was allowed to dangle free. Then imagine someone came along with both hands and rotated your foot as hard as they could, like they were trying to open a pickle jar. You can see why it's illegal in jiu-jitsu tournaments. When applied with full force, it can completely shred the knee ligaments. If you could see me here, you'd be tempted to help me pick my jaw up off the floor. To me, it was insane that someone with JC's experience level could ever submit someone like Dan Sean. Imagine a high school basketball player after six months of intense training, being able to dunk on a starting forward in the NBA. It's inconceivable, borderline impossible. Dan continues. If you talk about his guard passing skills, maybe he's still a white belt because we really didn't work guard passing, you know? We wanted to stay there and smash and make Olivia uncomfortable when he's on his back. But then if you talk about his guard, he's a purple belt. So he's got, he's definitely, his guard, his uh, escapes, his bottom jiu-jitsu is purple belt level, good purple belt level. His footlocks are, you know, expert, advanced, uh, no-gi jiu-jitsu. Because he does heel hooks, he'll do toe holds, and he does them real well, real explosive. I didn't know what to think. On one hand, we have Dan Sean saying that JC is purple belt level off his back. On the other, we have Tito Hart saying that Olivier is tapping out blue belts and purple belts after just six months in the sport. To me... Both of these claims seemed a little exaggerated, and I was still up in the air about who would win this fight. There's something else that continued to be on my mind at this point. 
Remember in part two when I asked JC what annoyed him about Olivier? Dude, if you want, if you if your motivation was to learn how to fight, you wouldn't be lifting weights. Like his motivation, and I don't think this is a, a bad thing. I just be honest about it. Like his motivation is to is to win this process. Like he's he's, which is you know reasonable, obviously. But that's all he needs to say is I, I just want to beat this guy in this one fight. And that's why I'm like really concerned about how big I get. And that's how, why, you know, um, I'm out there like bench pressing every day. It's possible here that Olivier might have pulled one over on JC. Here's Olivier the day before the fight. I was trying to understand his point of view, trying to, yeah, I was trying to understand his point of view. And I didn't really understand it. I didn't. I, I wasn't sure like what he was thinking. I, I can understand why he seemed so confident. Um, so I kind of created this narrative, which was that he thought that I was focusing mostly on strength and conditioning and not enough. Like I was underestimating how technical fighting was essentially. So I was trying to play into his narrative. I didn't want to. I didn't want to essentially say like pretend that I wasn't training hard because I just didn't think that was credible. Right. Um, but I wanted to portray the idea that I was training hard and not really training smart. You're playing the role of like a big dumb goon kind of almost. <laughs> I guess. Did I you mean, try to trick him into that? I didn't really try to trick him. I mean, I, I don't like, I don't, I don't want this to sound arrogant. I mean, I, I, I don't think it would be that credible that I would be like some just idiot approaching this like really foolishly. Um, I don't think that's, I, I think he kind of do better than that, but just that my focus was on my size mm-hmm. um, when it just, it just wasn't, I mean, my focus was on trying to learn how to fight and, and I got really lucky, I think to find the gym that I, that I found, but um, like coach Tito is like, he's just all about technique and um, being a true martial artist. So on my drive back from the final pre-fight interviews, when Ross asked me for an official prediction, I couldn't really give one. I, I'm really like that's the thing. Like before, I was definitely on on JC's side because I think maybe I even bought into the 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 angle that Olivier was like this like big dude who was just trying to get big and he wasn't really training for fighting. Like, and he had a bunch of bad misconceptions. But I think he is well coached. Um, so like I I think. You know, the, the, I think Tito said all the right things about you know I'm I'm a technique guy. I'm all about technique, and and my primary concern is that Olivier will try to like use too much muscle and gas himself out. That's when I sort of thought like oh like he's he's got a coach who's who's good for him um, because he, he's recognized that like he's got he's he's got the student who's like bigger and stronger, and so you've got a you've got to sort of guard against somebody overusing that, that attribute. So that's why I kind of, that's how it's, it's tight. It's tough. I mean. Hey, Ross here. We'll try and keep this one short, but we really do need your help to complete all in or knocked out. We really appreciate all of the donations we've received so far. And if you've been enjoying this production, please consider making a contribution by visiting allinornockedout.com. We really appreciate it.
At this point, there was no question in anyone's mind that both men trained tremendously hard for this fight. And in my mind, both men were training intelligently. But no matter how intelligently you train, injuries are hard to control in a fight camp. We've already heard the stories about Olivier's nose in both part one and part two. Here's a quick refresher. I, I So I, I took a knee to the face and broke my nose like a couple months ago. Um, mm-hmm. And then I took a knee to the face again on Friday. And I don't think I broke my nose, but like I split it open again. And like it like this cut like crosses the old cut, <laughs> like make is, oh, it, like just... makes a Y with the old cut. Um so that was like pretty – and especially because it was like a knee from pretty much like this guy – this kid had like side control on me. So it was like – like I mean I don't want to say like an illegal knee, but it was just like a – you know, it was like a knee that was completely non-purposeful and, right. um, and just like basically makes it so that I can't spar from now until the fight, which is pretty annoying. And now here's JC on the Monday before the fight. No injuries though? Like no actual bad injuries? Um – I mean, I definitely won't be a hundred percent. I uh, messed up my ankle like um, maybe five weeks out, but I was training the next day, and it'd been an injury that like I got put in a toehold my pretty much second week of training, and uh, it, it got cranked pretty bad, and I couldn't walk very well for like a week. And you know how when you roll, it's, I've had a bad ankle since, you know, I played soccer. Right. So I've rolled my ankle a million times and, you know, always it gets swollen and, you know, um, I start walking on it and then pretty soon it heals back up. But, uh, but when I started training hard um, this last week, I started feeling it get a little bit sore and then today but it was fine like i still was i I know that i'll tape it up for for the fight and and i wasn't too worried about it other than like you know potentially rolling it again uh but today i hit pads and i kicked the pad uh with my foot and the tendon in my foot's a little sore so i'm just gonna you know maybe uh ice it and get adjusted with a chiropractor get my my heel and ankle adjusted um and then you know it, it's a part of the game it's like my coach always says uh, are you hurt or are you injured mm-hmm. um if you're injured don't you can't fight if you're hurt you know you have to right so uh so i'm a little hurt but i'll be all right i also asked him about his weight gain protocol You'll recall that he started this bet weighing about 150 to 155 pounds, but he was allowed to get up to 165 before the fight, meaning that he was doing a ton of eating and lifting weights. But this last week was really intense. About two weeks ago, I got like a stomach virus in Mexico, um, and I and I just lost like quite like four or five pounds. So, um, and it's been really hard to gain it back because I've been working so hard. So I'll probably go in at like, I'm waking up at like 164, 163 and a half or 164. And I'll probably be like walking into the octagon at like, you know, 167 or so. Back in part one, you'll remember that Olivier talked about the fear and anxiety that he went through when it started to look like the fight was really going to happen. And so relatively quickly, this 
turned into like what you know seemed to me could be a feasible negotiation to come to terms. And so when that happened, this idea shifted for me. It shifted from just an idea to a potential reality. And I felt this palpable emotional transition when that happened. And the main way to describe this emotional transition is just fear or, you know, anxiety. And sure. and and there's this rational fear associated with, you know, being in a cage with somebody who's trying to really hurt you. But that's really not what it was. There was this kind of irrational, like looming cloud of anxiety that I felt. I didn't know how to explain or describe what it was, but I felt it. I felt it in, deep in my chest, felt it in my stomach, and it was not a good feeling. For JC, anxiety is something that he struggled with not just for this fight, but his entire life. That I've had anxiety for quite a while. Um, I get like anxiety attacks and stuff like that, and and it's very normal to me to to, to deal with anxiety, and um, and re and of, of course the fight was just like magnifying this anxiety so, so much um, because I was I couldn't watch a UFC fight on TV without like watching the two fighters you know get in the octagon and feeling like I wasn't able to breathe because I'd just be anticipating that I would be in that situation, right? So you were at a point where you literally weren't enjoying watching fights because you thought so much about your own? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, it was very hard. I thought like, I thought that I'd even really like watching fight movies and stuff like that, but I haven't been able to do any of that because it just gets me so nervous to watch anything about fighting or, or like this, build up to a fight um so a, a week ago um i did this exercise where i wrote down everything i have like everything i have in my arsenal i everything i know everything i do as a reaction to something everything i can you know execute and what I know like if he takes me down I get the overhook I get I control the head I push the knee out I either get up whatever you know progress like that and literally overnight I've gone for I've gone from being completely anxious and nervous and scared to this peace like complete calm and I've really never felt that calm before um like it's a very strange feeling it's it's very peaceful it's uh exactly what i imagine the calm before the storm being um i'm just there i'm focused i'm calm i'm i'm not at all nervous and it's it's a it's a strange feeling to go from from a whirlwind of, of emotion to, to peace overnight. And you got that feeling simply from writing down the list of things that you know how to do in a fight? I imagine that's what ended up helping me in this, is that when I get nervous in poker, it's when I feel like I didn't study enough and all of a sudden I'm deep in a tournament. Or I don't know what, like if I'll be able to execute what I know. Or 
if I'm overanalyzing things. Where last week I realized there's a limited amount of things that I know. Like I'm not, you know, this encyclopedia of knowledge. There's there's things that I can do and there's things that I can't do. And in sparring, sometimes I was going for things that I don't fully understand and losing position or something like that. So I just wrote everything that I know how to do. And at that point, it just became, this is what I know. That's all I'm going to know come fight time. And that's it. Like, I can't do anything more than just sort of sharpen these techniques and hope that I execute them. And if I don't, then that's fine. This is my preparation. This is what I have. If I can't, you know, triangle him or I can't do one of my moves that I've practiced, it's not my fault. It's not, it's just the circumstance. And, you know, he either got luckier or he's better than me or he was too big for me to deal with or whatever it is, but that's out of my control now. I can do these things and, and, uh, and I can study these things and that's, that's the game plan and that's it. What I really enjoyed hearing from both guys is how they have managed to separate the process from the result. There isn't the usual boisterousness that you see from MMA fighters who accept no possible outcome other than winning. They're both expecting to win, of course, but they're also both aware that losing is a possibility. The main thing is, both guys will tell you that they've grown tremendously from this journey, and they've both said that win or lose, this is something that will change them for the better. At this point, are you, are you happy the fight's tomorrow? Yeah, uh, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I'm so excited for this experience to be over, not because I didn't like it, but just because it's been so consuming for me. Um, you know what? I, I I haven't decided exactly what I'm going to do after the fight in terms of training, in terms of competing. Um, but my you know original intention was to to have this experience, but not to change my life in this way. Um, and it, training all the time, having to be so careful about uh, whatever I'm eating and sleeping, and which tournaments I play, and all of this, and then just having the constant you know, back of my mind, you know, whether it's anxiety or just thoughts about uh, this thing coming up. Um, I'm just excited for all that to be over. I, I know there's going to be a, a huge relief regardless of the outcome. And I'll, I'll feel like I can kind of go back to a normal life. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited. And, I, and I'm also just, I'm just ready. You know, it's, if for some reason the fight had to be postponed by a month, I would be very disappointed. Um, partly because, you know, I've, 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 this is the, this has been the plan. You know, I've planned for this time frame. So if we had done seven months instead of six, then I think I would have been fine because I would have been planning for seven the whole time. But since we've planned for this day and I've been, you know, every day it's been one less day and, you know, this was a week out and we were two weeks out or whatever, all that stuff. It's, it's time now, you know, it's, 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 we're a day out. I'm about to go way in. We're going to be twenty four out, twenty four hours out, and then we're going to fight. So, yeah, I'm I'm excited for it to be now. At the same time, it doesn't seem like either man is ready to drop the poker lifestyle entirely and become a full time fighter. They're definitely ready for this fight to be over with. But I, I'm focused on myself. I've been focused on my own 
uh, learning, improvement, uh, mental toughness, and um, everything that has to do with me um, learning about myself and, and stretching myself and, and trying to become like a better version of myself through this experience. You know, in theory, as the guy who's got the more physical attributes but less experience, the longer it goes, the more it would benefit you. Right. But, you know, so even if you, like, say, you both agreed, like, a three-month postponement with no penalty on either side, you'd still say, let's fight tomorrow. So, you know, there would be obviously some advantages to me to be able to, like, continue to catch up, so to speak, but I don't know if I have to catch up. I, I, and, that, and that's one of the things that I think that's, you know, if, if there's some anxiety, that's one of the, the, the aspects of the anxiety, which is I just don't know. You know, I don't, you know, I could get into the cage tomorrow and I could feel ready and, and be as prepared as I am. And he could just be really good. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I don't know. <laughs> we're going to, we're, we're going to find out tomorrow, but um, there, there are ways in which I could be, an, I could have an advantage and I could still lose. But there are ways in which I could, he could just be just better than me and better than me enough to offset my physical advantages. I mean, that's very possible. Um, I don't think that will be the case, but the thing is, I just don't know. <laughs> I've never seen him fight. <laughs> you know, I don't know. In some sense, I've always admired the fighters who, when interviewed, express absolutely no doubt that they're going to win. These are the guys who never say the words, if I win. They only say, when I win. But it's a certain mindset from athletics that simply isn't applicable to poker. Because in poker, even if you're sure that you're the best player at the table, you can never be assured of the results. Just like they're all too aware that one bad turn of the cards can lead to a multi-million dollar swing, they're both aware that in this fight, any one punch, kick, or submission attempt could immediately turn victory into defeat. What's more, they're both keenly aware of what they both don't know. What they don't know is how good the other guy is. They both think, they both hope, that is, that they've trained harder than the other guy, that they've trained smarter than the other guy, that they have the better coaching and support network than the other guy, that they're more athletic than the other guy. But the truth is that neither of them knows who the better fighter is until they both step into the cage. Poker, the game that both Olivier and JC have made their living at for over a decade, is often called a game of incomplete information. It's called that because you almost never know for sure what the other guy's holding. When you think about it, that sounds an awful lot like this fight. Coming up in part four, it's fight day, and we get all access. We'll give you the fighters' final thoughts before the big day, and all the sounds from the locker room and the moments leading up to the fight. One fighter will emerge six figures richer, with his arms raised in victory. Another fighter will simultaneously have to deal with not just the agony of defeat, but the fact that he's now over $100,000 lighter in the pocketbook for it. That's next time on All In or Knocked Out. All In or Knocked Out is the work of host Terrence Chan and producer Ross Henry. Our production assistant is Robin McDonald. Music is by Murphy Chops. Check him out on SoundCloud. Special thanks to this episode's $100 Black Trip contributor, Grateful Mouse. For more information on the series, check out allinornockedout.com. We really hope that you're enjoying our production. If you did, and you want us to continue making more, please consider making a donation. Once again, that's allinornockedout.com. You can also reach us on Twitter. I'm at T Chan Poker. And I'm at PokerCast Ross. <laughs> <laughs>